This is Fan Club. I'm your host, Ross Martin, and I'm willing to bet there's something that you're a super fan of. I am a fan of the group New Edition. Bruce Wagner, uh, the author. I would definitely consider myself a huge sports junkie. (laughs) I'm a fan of video games, rap music, cartoons. I'm a super fan of hip-hop music, especially J. Cole. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with David Bowie. Welcome to Fan Club, where we explore why we love what we love, no matter what it is. Content is everywhere these days. On our phones, laptops, desktops, our smart TVs, our taxi cabs, airplanes, and probably one day in our contact lenses. The instantaneous nature of content has muted passive consumption. Now audiences choose where they click and who gets to hold their attention. The relationship between a viewer and a show extends far beyond any screen because fans incorporate content into their daily lives. Ads and marketing and interest may bring viewers in, but it's fandoms that keep them around. And for many, the intro to our favorite TV show has quite the hook. Okay, so I can't imagine you're not dancing to that right now, but like, do you know what that is? That's the theme song from South Park. Comedy Central's hit animated series by Trey Parker and Matt Stone, featuring the gross-out antics of Stan, Kyle, Cartman, and Kenny. Les Claypool from Primus wrote that song. You remember the band Primus. Songs like these, theme songs, are key because they hook us. But for South Park superfans, the theme song itself has created almost a Pavlovian response, and it's actually shaped their brains. We know this because we looked at those brains as they watched the show. It was a really fun um, experiment. I had to change it to scrubs. The ear guards, the head guard. Like I went into the MRI machine and they were doing some scans of me while I watched an episode of South Park. Viacom conducted this experiment in collaboration with neuroscientist Dr. Kimberly Clark. She specializes in consumer behaviors and she joins us now. Dr. Kimberly Clark, I'm so psyched to welcome you to Fan Club. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you give me a step-by-step breakdown of how you ran the experiment? So we were charged with understanding how the South Park brain processes the show content differently than non-fans or casual viewers. So we recruited fans and non-fans, and we put them in a an fMRI machine and watched their brain activity as they were watching an episode of South Park. Now let's see, what would Brian Boitano do? Yeah, what would Brian Boitano do? What'd you find? We had a couple of hypotheses. The base hypothesis was that brain-related activity with respect to reward would be different in the superfans compared to the control group. And there's a structure in the limbic system. The limbic system is involved in motivation and emotion and and learning and memory. And one structure in the limbic system is called the nucleus accumbens. And the nucleus accumbens has been linked in addiction studies uh, where there has been increased activation in addicts. And it is positively related to the level of their addiction. So what you're saying is... If you're a South Park fan, 
listening to that theme song when it comes on is kind of like feeding your chocolate addiction. As a scientist, that's difficult to just say yes, but um, <laughs> but the evidence suggests that there are similar activations that occur when someone is consuming South Park that is a super fan, and that parallels somebody that might say have a love for chocolate and sees an image of chocolate. Yes. What surprised you? What did you learn? So basically, with respect to reward, when comparing the familiar intro with the equivalent length of a clip from the episode, the hardcore fans showed significant increases in the activation of the nucleus accumbens. And that might indicate that the familiar South Park intro is a reward or a motivational cue for the fans when compared to the novel episode-specific info. The superfans know, oh, that music means I'm about to start having a really good time. Yeah, yeah. What are you a superfan of? Black Mirror right now, right? Cyborgs, application of the biometrics and the consequences of gamifying alternative realities. That stuff's exciting and it's terrifying at the same time, given the measures that we employ. But that's dark and that's deep, okay? So so I want to end on a light note as well. Um, I am a super fan of Led Zeppelin and I have been since 1987. Well, I think we just figured out our exit music. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Clark, for joining us. Hey, thank you so much. This was really a great time. That was Dr. Kimberly Clark. She's a neuroscientist specializing in consumer behaviors, and she also lectures at Dartmouth College. She led Viacom's research study on the brains of South Park fans. You can see a video of the experiment right on our website, v.viacom.com. So growing up in New Jersey in the 70s and 80s, you know, I would walk home from school and I would just immediately hit the snack cabinet and grab a bag of whatever and then just plop myself down on the couch and watch my favorite shows like Starsky and Hutch. You think he's following us? Well, let's find out. Batman or soap operas like General Hospital or Santa Barbara. Why don't we just stop this stupid childish game, CC? What is it you want? I want all of it. And in between those shows were the commercials. Hey, where's the beef? Hey, Mikey. Hey, Mikey. And all those commercials had these jingles. I remember my favorite for Big Red Gum. That I would just get stuck in my head. So I've come to realize that the music I love, especially from my childhood, isn't really the music that's like playing in my head still. It's not the songs that I would hear on the radio or the music videos that I would listen to and watch on MTV. It's like the music that like makes me most nostalgic from my childhood is often the commercials like this one. Hi, I'm a scat cat for Meow Mix. Meow, 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 It turns out that so many of those commercials and those jingles that have been stuck in my head for like 30 years were written by this one guy, the man that we're going to talk to next, Shelley Palmer. Shelley Palmer is an award-winning composer and music producer who's created a lot of the music that's been a part of our lives for a long time, like the theme to the TV show Regis and Kathy Lee. And if you were in an arcade with quarters in your pockets like me in the 1980s, you would have heard this tune that Shelley Palmer wrote.
course, that's the Miss Pac-Man song. I think I played that for days on end. And of course, Shelly Palmer also helped write Meow Mix. Remember that? Meow, 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 meow. I mean, I could never get it out of my head. Shelly Palmer, welcome to Fan Club. It's my pleasure, Ross. Let's jump right in. You have written some of the greatest... I don't know whether you call them jingles. I, they just are culture to me. Like, you write these things, and they stick in people's heads. Well, let's be clear here. Meow Mix was written by the cat, Jerry Delafamina, <laughs> many advertising executives, many musicians. Everyone's taking credit The cat. Uh-huh. Jingles, you know, they this they become part of our—and they were called jingles, I don't think pejoratively, till later. The job of all advertising music, pretty much all commercial music— prior to maybe 95 was just to help because the goal was to put somebody into a place. And honestly, if you heard the music like separately, you probably as a composer did something wrong. How do you know that like whatever you just came up with, that's the thing? So I can't speak for anybody but, but myself. There's magic in the creative process that no one ever gives it credit for. The way that this worked for me when I was really writing full-time was I had a very different job than most people think of. First of all, uh, not to burst your bubble, I, I've never written a song at a keyboard or, or an instrument in my life. never occurred to me to do that. Maybe on a walk or in the shower or sitting in the living room thinking about it. Uh, and then to get it on so other people can so hear it. you're writing it. in your head. Always. It's just you knew. No, you don't know. Um, I'll tell you what you do know. You know that in my business, and believe me, when I say my business, I mean the business of professional composing, not composing pop songs, not composing hit music where, you know, not being a recording artist, not being all, any of that like poofy stuff, <laughs> a commercial composer. My job was to be consistently good and occasionally brilliant. Well, I think you were manufacturing fandom. I think you were manufacturing emotion in people that would be seeing something but need to hear something to make it more of a complete or powerful experience. That's how I look at what you were doing based on what you said. The question I have for you from a, a fandom perspective is, as you were writing and composing, how much did you think about the fans who would you would need to turn on? Right? How much did you think about the people who would be hearing this? Okay, so that's a great question. That, I believe, is the difference between commercial composition and writing art, making art. You have a picture of either one person or a group of people, and you need them to react very specifically. <clears throat> I've always thought about jingle projects as, hmm, okay, this is a woman, and I'll give her a name, and she has two under five-year-old children in car seats, and she's in a, I mean, I'll go crazy. She's in a green Chrysler minivan, you know, uh, and I'll name the things that, and she's wearing this, and the kids go there, and- You create is, her. Yeah, yeah, in my head. Yeah. And this is what would make her look up and, and do the thing. Okay, and, and then, and, so, so then, then the music goes out in the world. Yeah. You've been doing this for decades. Decades. Has there been a moment- <laughs> where you met that person, where you met the version of that person it was close to the person in your head that you were writing that song for, and they sang it back to you? Well, I've, I've, had, I've had some very strange experiences, oddly enough, with, um, with Let's Go Mets more recently than anything else because the Mets have shown up in, in you know, a very good position. Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! We got the 
it belongs to every Mets fan. That's right. And what, what what's that remarkable? Yeah, what's remarkable about the 1986 moment is they win the World Series. It's like the great. I mean, I was watching. This is a great with my grandpa. You know, and we're singing "Let's Go Mets." Yeah. Was, and so what you did was you sort of like, I feel like in that moment, you kind of recoded the DNA of the Mets. And 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 you and here's why I say that because. It was a moment in time and a moment in culture, but for people who were there experiencing it live or on television or on the radio, you remember where you were, you remember who you were with, and you remember how it felt to hear that song. I I think we're talking about a central human truth, which is that ritual matters. And there's something about the ritual Mets fans have. It's the pilgrimage to Queens to see those guys in those blue pinstripes and the blue and the orange. And part of that ritual includes that song. It's just part of it. It's a good segue to what we're seeing now with South Park. So South Park just wrapped its 20th season. That's unbelievable. Highest ratings in 16 years on linear television. That's believable. So you look at Matt and Trey and what they've been able to achieve with that show and how relevant it is and how incisive and insightful it is every single week. When that song comes on, there's something about it that just, you can almost see the reaction in the face of a fan when they hear the song. Because it's like dopamine gets released and they're like, oh, here comes more of what I love. Yeah. And that thing, that song, it's it just, I can't imagine it not living forever. If you audio brand or sonic brand something, uh, let's just call it what it is. You're touching people with a language that is universal and it's universal in our society. It's not universal worldwide. And what I mean by that is we know when the scary part comes. Dun, 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 it's Darth Vader, he's coming for me. You know it's Darth Vader. <laughs> Why do you know? And the reason you know is because you've learned over years of watching scary what stuff. What happens when you that, hear that? Well, when, but when low, da, 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 like, okay, John Williams just told you, it's the shark is coming. <laughs> oh, ultimately, Ross, at the end of the day, when you think about how we enhance people's experiences... We're trying to find things you can relate to, right? Every story is about some way that you can relate to the story. You're always trying to personalize it in some way or give someone a view into either in them, into themselves or into someone they know. And it doesn't matter whether it's fiction, nonfiction, reality. It doesn't. When you tell a story, when you present a story, from a fan perspective, I would argue that the sounds have a at least as big of an opportunity, if not more of an opportunity, to evoke emotion that is going to touch more people in a similar way because you're going to feel a song. This has been amazing. I think I have a brand new appreciation for, you can call them jingles, you can call them show opens, songs, music, whatever you want to call it, but for the ability of music to create and stoke fandom. So thank you, Shelley Palmer, for coming on Fan Club. Thank you, Ross Martin, for asking. That was composer Shelley Palmer, the guy who's created so many of your favorite jingles. You can learn more about him and his work at ShellyPalmer.com. Fan Club is a V by Viacom and Pineapple Studios production. Pineapple, what are you guys fans of? Office plants. And our executive producer is Brooke DeVard. Brooke, what are you a fan of? Beyonce. I'm Russ Martin, and I'm a fan of pranks. 
In coming episodes, we'll talk to Chef Tom Colicchio about how even he gets starstruck sometimes. And did you know that Charlemagne the God's favorite author is this woman? I read every Judy Bloom book in the library. You know, uh, are you there, God? It's me, <laughs> Margaret. Margaret. Yeah, you yeah. know, blubber. All that and more on this season of Fan Club. <laughs> 